Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. Mike is still out. A hurricane got him this time. Um, it is Monday, October 3rd. In this episode, we'll preview, we'll review all the derbies, Manchester, North London, East Midlands, break down all the league results and figure out where we are in the league. But first, where is Mike? So Mike's been out for a bit. Uh, he's had a lot of home stuff to do, been dealing with hurricanes. I know we all want uh, Mike's to be safe and his family to be well and Jessica to be well. And so we're just making sure he's okay. He's in Orlando. His house is fine. He's fine. And he will be back very soon to get back into the league. But he's had to be a little bit on hiatus, which is no big deal. But before we get to scores, please, if you are new to this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, tell the world about it. You guys are why we do this. You guys are what we need. We want to thank the Chop Sports people. We want to thank the Fan Hub people and everyone in the UK, everyone in Malaysia, everyone in Australia, everyone in India, everyone in Canada, everyone who loves this league as much as we do. So please, please, please like, share, comment. It means the world to us. Maybe we can do a contest later on to try and get people into the system. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk North London Derby. We're going to talk Manchester City United. But first, I want to do the scores. And I'm going to count down. Three, two, and one. Here we go for scores. On the Saturday lunchtime scores, we had the North London Derby between Arsenal and Tottenham with Arsenal winning it 3-1 on amazing stuff. Really good atmosphere. A red card ruined it, but it was even most of the way. Southampton won. Everton, too. Fat Frank has got his team humming. He's looking good. He's feeling good. Everton win a game away. Unbelievable. Palace won. Ch Chelsea, too. My friend and your friend, Mr. Graham Potter, gets it done behind a Connor Gallagher goal along with Aubameyang. So his boys get their draw. And then next up, 3-3, my beloved Brighton pull off an amazing draw against Liverpool at Anfield. Liverpool are a shambles. Fulham fall back to earth. A red card ruins this game early. Newcastle get a big win, 1-4 against Fulham. Mitrovic goes out with a knee. We're not sure what the issue is there. Then a nil-nil between Bournemouth and Brentford. There was a funky a VAR call here where they told him to go to the monitor and he did not change it, which I liked. Uh, uh, Moises boys in West Ham put Wolves to the sword 2-0. It wasn't a great watch, but Bruno Large gets fired after this game's Wolves looking for a new manager. Sunday games, Manchester City 6, Man United 3. This was not as close as that 3 looks like. It was a catastrophe. Last game of the day, Leeds nil, Aston Villa nil. Our boy, Jesse Marsh, they have a red card as well in the 48th minute, Sinestra. They go ballistic. He's a little too emotional. Nil nil, Leeds holds on against Villa. And finally, our Monday night game, Leicester get off the schneid. Their first win of the season, winning 4-0 against Nottingham Forest. Steve Cooper is beginning to be in trouble madison james madison running that game now on to i'll start with the north london derby because it's honestly the more interesting game um i think the manchester derby is a bit of a domination and it's not really too much to talk about just that they just annihilated them so we'll start in north london we'll go through the goals right away First goal, Thomas Party, amazing goal from outside the box on 20. He puts them up. Then Harry Kane converts a penalty that Shaka slash Gabriel uh, commits on Richarlison. So Harry Kane continues to score in a North London derby. Second half comes in. You feel within the first half of the game, it's pretty even. Conte's team is doing what they do. They defend. Uh, Arteta's team is doing what it does. They attack. It's feeling all really together. Then on 49, Gabriel Jesus gets a goal on a spill by Lloris. It has to be said, shot from Saka. Uh, 
that Loris can't handle. It falls under him. There's a second chance for him to grab it, and Jai Zeus is on it and spills it in. Then Emerson takes a red card on 62, which, frankly, in a game like this should be a yellow. Does he kick Martinelli? Is it high? Yes, but in my opinion, that should be a yellow just for the sake of the game. Then Shaka finishes off the game on 67, and the game really peters out. There's not really much after that. Really, really fun game with two teams with conflicting styles. Spurs sitting really deep, and I mean really, really deep, with their standard group, Rodrigo, Hoiberg, Richarlison, Kane, Son, all sitting deep and defending. The thing that I took away from this is as the sort of style of the game came into play is, you know, you see the really good passing, the slick moving of the ball around. It looks, as a City fan, looks really familiar to City. Uh, It's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more energetic, less methodical, more youthful from Arsenal. But the thing that I thought about was when Spurs plays City, they really get more into City. And I thought that Spurs were much more passive. You really could see the bank of five in the back with the wingbacks dropping deep. So um, uh, Royale and and Perisic deep. But what you could also notice was how much Richarlison and Son dropped deep as well to make a four and then a five. So they're really two banks of four, really compact, and only really Harry Kane is 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 up top, but they're really compact. And you can see and you feel like Tottenham are really pushed back and pushed back so much so that when Partey does get his goal, he has 15 yards on the edge of the box to really just pick a spot. It's a great goal. He scores it and takes it well, but it's really indicative of how deep Spurs were and how little how little um, fight and pressure there was. It was a little bit standoffish. I know they don't want to get the red. They want to stay within their head. They're playing controlled. So I don't want to, it's not really a criticism of Spurs, but it was a bit more controlled and less frenetic than you would expect. And and Arsenal really had the ball and were really pinging it around. Now, was it easy? Were they getting great chances? No, Lloris didn't have to really create too much. But once the goal came and Partey got it, then you could see Spurs have some good chances on the break, but they were really direct. Spurs were never really playing. They really just went straight up to Sun, straight up to Kane, and they didn't really create much. Just to give you a sense, um, within the first half here, Spurs had four shots. Richarlison had one, one saved, and one of those four shots was the Harry Kane penalty. So that just gives you a sense of what was going on, even within the whole game, even up to 67, up to the red, when uh, up, up up to then, Spurs only take eight shots in the game. So th- it's really this kind of measured attack, six shots in the game, excuse me, really measured attacking kind of style. And and that's what Conte wants. And I'm, I really wish Mike was here. Once he could get out of the fouls and the yellows and get all of that stuff out of the game, and he can look at it, from a real philosophical perspective is do Spurs really want to play this way? Uh, Is this, is this the way that they have to play? I feel like Spurs are not playing to their strengths. Like their strengths are the front three along with, along with, um, with Kuliszewski but they're playing as though they have Juventus's defense or John Terry and 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 Aspelaqueta in defense along with with um with Courtois. Spurs are not made to defend like this. And so I wonder if this is the right approach for Spurs um because are they getting results sure but to rely that much on their defense against a really attacking team it, it just it's just a question of whether in this modern age with these level of players, if this is the way you want to play, I don't want to kill Spurs. It's their first loss of the season. They never win away. A red card really ruined it. And you could feel 
without the red, maybe they would have nicked the draw. I don't know what the answer is, but it didn't. F- it felt like Arsenal had control of the game. And so the narrative out of this game now is the question I asked last week is, can Arsenal win the league? Can Arsenal win the league? They're currently first. They've only dropped three points all season. You know, can this group push their way through? And the answer is probably no, right? They have a one-point lead on City. They have a lot of youth, a lot of youth. I mean, great young players. I think the only player, I'm just looking at it right here, the only two players over 29. Partey's 29, Xhaka's 30. Everyone else on the team is 25 and under, with most of them, twenty half of the team, 23 and under. Even players you think are old, Saliba's 21, Martinelli's 21, Saka's 21, Odegaard's 23, you know, Ben White's just 24. The whole team is young. Jesus is 25, and he feels like he's been around forever. So this is a young team. Do they have the medal? Can they do it? We saw really cool moments uh, after one of the after the fir- after the Partey goal. Shaka brings the whole group together and gives this kind of like almost Stevie Gerrard. We don't know what he said, of course, but don't let it slip. Stay focused. Ironically, that it's Shaka who's who's giving this kind of stay focused yelling and screaming uh, thing because he's so much uh, used to making mistakes in these types of games. But he was good. Shaka's been a revelation. He's playing, I think, as a City fan, I see the pieces that are City. So he's in the Gundogan role. Odegaard's in the De Bruyne role or more of the David Silva role with Partey playing in the... um, in the uh, in the Rodri Fernandinho role, so you can see you can see the makings of this team uh, really looking like City, where Saka's in in your in your Sane role and Martinelli's in the in the in the Sterling role, where and you know you have Jesus playing. You know, it, I think that's the big difference um, with this team versus City is the striker has more importance uh, for City because of because of the way Pep is, City's much more of a midfield-driven team. But it's a great performance. I like what I see from Zinchenko. I like the energy. I like what I see from Ben White. Saliba, we know. I mean, Spurs are Arsenal are really good, and they can be there. I just hope they're going to drop points. They're not a perfect team. They're going to have hard times. And what's it going to look like when they face adversity, I guess, is the question. But uh, we see Spurs have to go again. I guess it's a question of what do they want to do? What's their best group? Is this their best defending group? Do they need another central defender? I don't, I'm not sure. I'm still confused. I'm still confused about what they want to do with Izbasuma. And do they do, do they want to go through it to a 4-3-3 with Basuma, Hoiberg, and Betancourt? I feel like that might be better. And then go to a four at the back and maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I, I know that Conte won't do that. Uh, I just, I just, it's just disappointing. They have such attacking players. Uh, should they attack more? And can you even win like that anymore? I know Conte won with with Chelsea in a very defensive manner, but is this something we want to do? It's a question. It's out there. I'm not sure if that's what we want to do or how we want to do it, but it feels like something to think about uh, as we go through it. So that's going to take me on to the other big. Derby, my team, Manchester City, playing their beloved uh, rivals in Man United. And this was men against boys. I mean, there's almost not much to talk about in a weird way because City are so well-drilled. City are so strong. City are so powerful. And Holland now becomes this otherworldly thing that I don't think we quite realized what it meant to have this player on City. So what I think about is, well, let me just sort of give you an overview. What I think about what's happening with City is, is all that super slick passing and connectivity and all these things that were happening to score in these last two seasons that City have won the league. They are two-time Premier League champions, but it was laborious. 
as much as the narrative is, oh, this team, this team, it was hard to score goals. And it, it was trouble. I mean, hard, hard relative to City. Like there was a lot of precision to make those goals work. There was a lot of Raheem Sterling's foot right at the back post because he made a run or a pullback or whatever. It had to be perfect. And City scored a lot of goals being perfect. But they were they had dropped down. They were when they had Aguero at his peak, they were scoring a hundred goals a season, a hundred goals. And then they when during the pandemic season, they dropped down a level and they went more defensive with Diaz as the as the primary piece and went to that false nine. And they were they were winning, giving up, scoring eighty five goals. But now they're going to go up again. They're going to go up a level. They're going to score. 110, 105 goals during the season. That's a lot. And Holland just makes the margin for error on all the balls, on all the plays, on everything they need to do, just become smaller. You can just kick the ball into space or cut it back, and he doesn't miss them. And so he got a hot trick, his hat trick of hat tricks. So what does that mean? Holland now has 15 goals. He has scored a hat trick in his last three Premier League games. So he has a hat trick of hat tricks. Sorry, he has 14 goals, three assists. He's averaging 2.3 goals plus assists per game. I mean, he's almost on two goals a game. Not sustainable. I think the highest ever was Messi on 1.5 goals per game. He's not going to do 1.5 goals per game. Uh, the other scorer, Phil Foden, who was fantastic. All his finishes were really good. Uh, Holland and Foden connecting was great. It was Foden on eight. Holland on 34, Holland on 37, Foden on 44, Marshall, Anthony picked, pulled one back on 56, then Holland on 64, and Foden on 72. I mean, it was just, and, and the Anthony goal was really good. And then Anthony Marshall scored two goals in, in the last 15 minutes of the game after City did a four-player sub. They basically sent on the checking line of like their academy players. So uh, I think, so that's City. City are well-grooved. Everything was there. The thing that was crazy, and I know I've talked about this before, but it was Ake and Akanji at the back. And you know how I feel about Ake. Whenever Ake plays, City give up more goals than normal. So this was not City's best defense. Uh, Kyle Walker had to go off. He got injured. So it ended up being um, Sergio Gomez in defense. So this was not a great defense. There was no Rodri, who most City fans will tell you when Rodri doesn't play, City doesn't score because the transitions from attack to defense aren't there. And then, you know, Bernardo Silva was great in the midfield along with De Bruyne. And then Grealish was fantastic. I mean, this was a team performance that this is one of these levels that City's at that if you're, if when they're like this, you can't beat them. They're just incredible. Like they just kept running through um, United. Now, there's two ways to see this. Were United absolutely terrible? Yes. Was City fantastic? Yes, uh, City. So um, United, I'll go on the United side now. So City just cruising. They have a game this week in the Champions League. They're just going to cruise on that. We'll see where they are with the defense. I expect Diaz to come back in, but they're now grooved. They're starting to move and Foden's starting to play more. And Holland has just become this phenomenon that City never had. And I think, you know, anyone who's been following Premier League football, you can already tell the press is kind of tired of like, what do we say about this guy? He's on another world. Uh, last week was, oh, what's wrong with Grealish? Then for five minutes, it was what's wrong with Foden. And now it's just like, oh, my God, this team, are we going to have a league? Is there going to be a battle <laughs> uh, the way City are playing? <sighs> on the United side, Ten Hag went with the team that had won four in a row. So he goes McTominay, Erickson deep, Fernandez in the ten with Anthony, Rashford, and Sancho. Most United fans thought that was a bad idea. Uh, what is the purpose of Casemiro, a five-time Champions League winner, coming from Real Madrid, if you're not going to play him? Many thought both of them should have played, McTominay and Casemiro. My thought is that it should be Casemiro and Fred together. Uh, and then, but I think the issue Ten Hag has is how does he rationalize taking these players out? This is a game where Ten Hag was naive. And I don't think United fans are 
as embarrassed about this one as they would be against Brentford or whatever. I think he tried something. He tried to play attacking football with his guys, thinking that they could craft something and do some kind of like barn burning 5-3-4-3 kind of thing. But none of their players played well. Um, they seem to have this idea that, oh, we'll 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 go man to man in the midfield, but then City have the answer for that. They simply took their center backs and just ran through the midfield because the midfielders were marking people individually. So you saw if you watch this game again, you'll see Ake and Akanji just run right through City and then make that pass that breaks the lines, and then they're on onto them. That's why if you watch this game, there's just players running through the midfield against uh, United. So um, Bruno and and McTominay and Erickson just could not keep up. They weren't marking anyone. There was no force. No one was a natural defender. Uh, the wingers never came back and helped on, on the fullbacks. So Anthony and, and Sancho were never in the box helping out Ma- Malaysia and helping out Martinez and whatever. So they just got bullied and destroyed. And I think United fans probably feel, okay, we got beat. This is less a disaster and more a, okay, Ten Hag had to learn that this doesn't work. Like you cannot play City this way where you're open and trying to play and keeping your keeping your your um, your front players up high. When you want to beat City, you have to play the way Aston Villa did, deep and in the face, and you have to play the way Spurs do. They, but didn't against Arsenal, which is funny. Deep and in the face. You have to punch City in the face and make it hard and, and kick guys and make it difficult. I think there was a really great play that really showed, I think, on the on the last Foden goal. Maybe it was the second one. I can't remember. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is carrying the ball, and Erickson has a chance to bring him down, and he doesn't. He lets him run, and then he brings him down later on. So... That was a play where it's Foden's second goal. Right. That was a play where in the 44th minute. That was a play where Erickson, who's not a natural defender, needed to get in on De Bruyne and just put take him off his feet, knock him down, take the yellow card and call it a day. But that wasn't in their nature. So it's something he would have had to learn. Like that's something that, you know, uh, Fernandinho used to do all the time, or you see Hoiberg do, or or Allen, who who played for Everton, was a really good defender when he played with Napoli. Those cynical fouls, you need to do them because otherwise you give up goals. And so we we missed that from uh, from United. There was another controversy for United about when they were down four 0 Should they have brought on Cristiano? No, I, I I mean sure yes. It became a thing because uh, Ten Hag said he didn't bring him on out of respect. I don't, I don't buy that. I think if I were the United manager, how I would have played this was I wouldn't have played Anthony. I would have played Alanga on the wing to give more support in defense because he would have worked back. I would have just played like full defense style and just went like Casemiro, Fred, or... Casemiro, McTominay, and Erickson in, and taken out Fernandez. Or played or played Fernandez and Rashford n- with no Jaden Sancho. I'm not a fan of Bruno Fernandez. He seems to just yell and scream and not really want to work hard. He's just fucking annoys the fuck out of me. But what they needed was workers. This was a game for workers. This was a game for guys who get stuck in. This is a game for kicking someone. You've if you're gonna be in a derby, make it a fight. And I think United didn't make it a fight. Because Ten Hag thought he could bring this Dutch playing style. And he got blown away. Now, on the other side, positives for United are they did score two goals late. And Anthony Marcel did come on. And that made a difference. And Shaw came on. And Casemiro did come on. So they can say they won the second half with their three goals to City's two. But, you know, the, the fact is it was 6-3 and City shut down. I mean, they brought on... <laughs> They did a four-player sub. <laughs> uh, City brought on, let's see, the four-player sub. Laporte, Palmer, Julian Alvarez, and Riyad Mahrez. 
all on 75 all at once. And then the two goals came in. So there's a little bit of a disjointed kind of feeling. But, you know, now the narrative shifts, you know, are City going to run away with this league? Are they unstoppable? How do you stop Holland? What are the questions here? How do we groove this thing? Uh, the Grealish stories are out the window. It's just how our City breaking the league, blah, blah, blah. All these things that are historically annoying uh, because City are just taking the place of United the 20 years prior and the place Liverpool held 20 years before that. British football has a history of there being a dominant team. There have been periods, sort of 10-year transitional periods, where it's not that way. Uh, you had one of those late 80s, early 90s, and you had another one um, post-2004 when you had the rise of Mourinho, you had the you had the invincible. You had you had a couple teams there, and then the rise of City, and now City. There was a little bit of a transition there, so you get these transition periods where the dominant team changes, but it is now firmly in City's hand. And um, with when we get on to Liverpool, where we'll go next, Liverpool have pushed City and lost the league twice by one point. But is there another team to step up? Uh, I hate that the sort of historical context gets lost on City. It's just. This is what happens in British football. And I think a lot of it is is on Pep. So we'll see. So on to Liverpool. <sighs> Liverpool are in trouble. Uh, they are, they drew 3-3. They did not have injuries. This is Liverpool's best group. And against my beloved um, my beloved Brighton, who I have a question for the group, for the committee. Do I stick with Brighton or do I jump with Potter? I think I'm going to stick with Brighton. I think it's Brighton that I love. Uh, or is it Potter? I'm not sure. But uh, as long as Deserby is going to play like this, uh, you know. By the way, Brighton are still in fourth ahead of Liverpool. Um, Brighton took a two-goal lead from Trossard on the fourth minute, another on 17, and could have had a four-goal lead. Easily. Firmino was Liverpool's best player. He's pulled them back with a goal in the 33rd and then another in the 54. They got the lead on an OG by Adam Webster. But again, 20 minutes later, Trossard pulls another one back. You know, the defense is a mess. Um, and Liverpool, just as a unit, are not who they were. There was a time, as a City fan, I know who this team is. <laughs> I know who this team is. You know, some of those Champions League nights in in um, in Anfield where you couldn't breathe. Liverpool were just on top of you. You couldn't do anything. They were compacting the field. Firmino was on top of you. Oxlade-Chamberlain was on top of you. Mane was on top of you. You couldn't do anything. I just remember those those Champions League games when City were Centurions and Liverpool did go on to win the Champions League that season where Liverpool were unbeatable and unstoppable, especially at Anfield. And now they just don't have that. You're not seeing a compact single unit of blood-starved wolves attacking teams anymore. It's It's ones and twos. It's it's not grooved. It's not connected. Um, the reason why a lot of their defensive players are looking bad, you're seeing Van Dyke getting criticized. Oh, what's wrong with the defense? Trent Alexander, we're hearing more and more and more. Trent Alexander, what's happening is, is teams get the ball and have time and they can see where they want to attack. Oh, there's Trent Alexander standing up, not really paying attention. Let me pass this ball to him. That time never was there, ever. And so you couldn't expose Trent Alexander-Arnold like that anymore. But now you can because players have time to make passes that were not seen before. So all of it is connected. I know um, one of my uh, pet, peeve, pet peeve of Mike. Is it a pet peeve of Mike? Or a... uh, Thank you. Hey, Irish Savage, thank you. <laughs> uh, we have a follower for... Um... Yeah. Yeah, totally, Andrew, totally. The gap between the defense and midfield is too big. The forward press is defense. Yes, exactly. 
Thank you for popping in, Andrew. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's just that the whole spacing, the whole unit is no longer connected. So when I think it's lazy that we see punditry kind of just being like, oh, this individual player, it is all connected. It is, you know, the hip bone connected to the thigh bone, connected to the leg bone. All of it works together. And so individual players can look worse and worse. It's why players can go from one team to another and look fucking incredible because one manager has it all connected. It's why Brighton are so incredible because it's a cohesive unit that's completely connected. It's as though they have a single mind running those 11 players together around the pitch. They just move, right? And that stuff is not happening anymore. And that's why I love Brighton so much because they're like a shit version of City where the 11 choreographed movements all move together and they, while, you know, it's Danny Welbeck and Trossard and Pasquale Gross, but they're fantastic. They they have an ethos. They have a belief that together they can beat mighty Liverpool. And they almost did. And they probably should have. So Liverpool, I think, now have to regroup again. They've got to figure out their mojo. I mean, I'm no Liverpool fan. Right. No egos. Exactly, Andrew. I'm no Liverpool fan. But I do want, I want teams to play well. I want the fights to be there. I, I don't want them to be in car accidents and die. But I do want that Liverpool to come back together. I mean, it would be a shame to see them sort of collapse and then have Klopp leave the team and then all this stuff that we just don't want to see happen. We we want we want the narratives to stay together. Uh, I think the Mane thing is a thing. I think there is a, a lack of connectivity or at least a replacement of that player. I think the Darwin Nunez getting that red card early, I think it, it hurt the sort of process of what they were going to work. Who knows what happens in the backroom staff? So it's interesting for Liverpool. They now have to fight and just think about getting their ship in order, getting back in the top four. Their fundamentals are still good. They still create a lot of chances. They still are there in XG, but they have to figure out how to get that pressure on front players or players on the ball in the midfield so that their defense isn't exposed. So that Van Dyke can then be the Cadillac who sweeps things up. Because right now, he's afraid. He's afraid to move. He doesn't look sure what to do. And so the team isn't working properly. But Liverpool can't win them all. I had been saying it sort of. They were always, they always seemed so lucky to get these wins. And I think that their culture is a little bit broken right now. So I don't know. I mean, they're starting to infighting. I think Trent Alexander really slammed his hand down when he missed his free kick. A lot of stuff going on. So that takes us on to um, we've gone through Liverpool. We've gone through the North London Derby. Takes us on to my other friend, my beloved <laughs> manager of, of, of Brighton, who, who gets himself together. Deserby deserves the draw. He was pretty cool. So I love the continuity of Brighton going from Potter to Deserby. It seemed like they had a whole system in place. If I were a big team, I would try and bring that whole process with them and steal them all. They're basically between Brentford and, and Brighton, you have two moneyball teams. You have a you have two Billy Beans, you have two Cubs, you have two uh Oakland A's in those two managers. You know, you have a a real power group there of teams that are really trying to pull things together. But Chelsea uh, go to Crystal Palace, a tough game. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, a tough game to go to Crystal Palace and try and get a result. Crystal Palace came to play. I think they sort of smelled blood, wanted to see what kind of metal uh, Chelsea had. And Patrick Vieira sent out his most attacking unit. I think a unit that the hipster football community is just like, Yes, finally. So uh, for, for all the kids out there, uh, Palace send out Eze. Wait, let me make sure this loads properly. So it's Elise, Eze, Zaha, and Edward all together, which is what we've been waiting for from, from Palace. And they were able to keep their shape and be pretty strong. So a 4-3-3 with Decore really holding it together. So we have these sort of energetic... Finally, uh, uh, Elise and Eze together in the midfield with Edward, Ayu, and and Wilf Zaha all together. Um, and and Chelsea score a goal early, really quickly. Um, and they're ahead in this game, and they put a good fight on. Uh, they probably deserved a little bit more than they got. 
uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Nice goal from uh, Aubameyang, really nice goal. But just prior to that goal, Thiago Silva gets a yellow card. He's on the ground just outside his penalty area. He handles the ball, and the question was whether it should be a sending off and a dogzo, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity for Jordan Ayew. Probably, maybe. I don't know. I think the thing to remember is the guy on the ball is Jordan Ayew. That dude couldn't score in a fucking whorehouse. So it's not necessarily (laughs) that Ayew will get it done. But uh, it is an interesting question uh, that I wonder about. So a really nice goal from Ayu. Uh, a lot of interchange and changing parts. And Potter's doing his his shifty, movie, quickie, how do we make this thing work thing that he does, which I'm happy to see. That's exciting. Christian Pulisic was involved in the goal to win the game. Uh, he came on after Gallagher did. So he set up Gallagher. But it was really Gallagher on his own. Did a really cool shot. Uh, I did notice that... Uh, Keppa is in goal. I'm assuming Mendy's hurt, but I don't know. So we'll see there. I, let me check who scored really quickly just to see if Mendy is hurt. Because that's a difference. Uh, I think, you know, Mendy really played well the first 15 games last season. And since then has probably not been as good as Chelsea fans would like to admit. <laughs> uh, and so it is good to see to see um, to see Keppa back in. So we'll see where they are there. Uh, I'm just checking. Oh, Mendy was hurt. Okay, so that's why he didn't play. But Keppa did play. So that's interesting to see Keppa getting back in goal for Chelsea. I'd love to hear from Fred. Sarasso about how he feels about Kepa being in goal again. Um, so it, the interesting stories there are the red card and then Connor Gallagher scoring a goal against Palace. It had to happen. He was getting cheered by the Palace faithful the whole game. He didn't celebrate. It was really cool. I think that's one of the great things about football that when players get deep connections with a club and how much they feel connected to it, and when a player moves on, how they treat them on their way back. We don't have these sort of deep cultural connections the way European sports do. As I crunch on my throat lozenge, it lets me do more than 30, 40 minutes of this thing. <laughs> but uh, things are moving along well for Palace and Chelsea. Uh, we'll see where Potter is. Looks like he's going to use players. Looks like there's a little bit of new lease on life. We saw Kovacek back in. We saw Chilwell back in. My guess and I know people love Tiago Silva, is that Tiago Silva will be a player who gets pulled out. He's looking old more and more and more. So I do worry for him, even though at 38, he's imperious. He can't run, and the Premier League has exposed him. It's been a couple times where weird things like this have happened. Or maybe he'll spend more time and figure it out. I like where Palace is. They do only have one win, but I don't worry for them. I love Palace. They're fun to watch. Whenever they're on, I get excited and do watch them. And now let's go around the league. We've got 10-man leads, nil-nil versus Aston Villa. Sinistera got sent off, really changed the game. Aston Villa were dire <laughs> again. Uh, I think Gerard's pulls a little bit of a Rafa Benitez type thing. I think you kind of default to the manager who was most successful with your team. So I think that Gerard's got a little bit of Rafa in him where they played really defensive and he shit-housed Leeds and really just pissed uh, Jesse Marsh off. And I think Leeds do take on the personality of Marsh, or Marsh takes on the personality of Leeds. There's a little bit of a frenetic kind of mental energy of Marsh getting mad and getting upset and fired up, and he's yelling on the sidelines, and he's super emotional, and his team plays emotional. So there's a little bit of Bielsa, a little bit of emotion, a little bit of fired-upness, and I think Gerard intentionally put that into the game to slow it down and piss Marsh off. Um, Villa, though, still disjointed, still unable to score. I still, I will go down to my bed on this one. Aston Villa will not perform well 
until Coutinho's off the team. He Coutinho doesn't fit anywhere. He plays a style as a number 10 off the wing. Just just doesn't work. He he slows things down. I feel like the Watkins front line was the way to go and without that being there, it just doesn't work. Something's wrong or maybe there's a reason Klopp let him go. There's a reason why he didn't play at Barca. He's he's a square he he's like this diamond shaped peg that no or sorry, a five-star shaped peg that no one has the five-star shaped hole. Like there's a specific team that he can play for, and it's not Aston Villa, and it's not with Steven Gerrard. So that one's a little bit funky. Um, and we go on from there. Newcastle beat Fulham. Fulham had been flying high, one of the better teams in the league, but uh, Miguel Armourone played well in this game. He's really one of these players that works hard, has good energy, smile on his face, you know, you 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 never can fault him for his graft and how much he works, but it's just he would get into scoring positions and just miss, miss passes, miss everything. But now it seems that Almiron is finally kind of getting some goals in his game. Um, he he scores a wonder goal uh, on the volley, incredible. Have a look. Callum Wilson is back in this in the team. Uh, Chalabar goes off in the first five minutes, basically breaking this game. But um, looks like. Newcastle's starting to get their players in. They're starting to have some continuity. So they finally got Gimaresh. Now they got to try and wait for... Um, got to try and get St. Maximin in. Callum Wilson was back. Almiron was good. Uh, Almiron scored just... Is it one or two? Two goals. Yeah. He was really good. Goals come from Wilson, Almiron, Longstaff, and Almiron again. Longstaff on a header. And, you know... um. Newcastle really battered them. They had a three and a half expected goals. Probably could have had more. They finally get a win that kind of moves along. I am curious now as to how Eddie Howe is going to start working all his players in. And then we have to check on Fulham to see how their players are. They had been playing really well. One of the stories of the season. But Chalabar gets sent off in his chance to take on... um, What number was he? Yeah, he was in he was in the Paulinho spot. He has a chance to take a spot and he gets sent off. So Paulinho, who picked up a red card, missed the game, and now Chalaba picks up a red. So in that holding midfield world, Fulham are missing a player. So we'll see how that affects them. But they had been flying, they had been in eighth. They're still in eighth and they're doing well. Uh West Ham beat Wolves. Finally, Jared Bowen gets on the mark. Sa- Salamaka gets wait a minute, did I get it right? Skamaka gets on the mark. Uh, Jared Bowen scores a goal and the hapless never scoring ever, uh, Wolves, uh, once again, don't score. <laughs> Diego Costa does come on. They keep taking shots from outside the box, but they never seem to be threatening. And West Ham just waited until they had a, mo- until they got their goals. Um, and I think, and Bruno Large has now lost his job. So Wolves will have a new manager, hopefully someone who can turn this around. I don't, I don't expect that. Apparently, uh, Large had lost, was not a was not a man manager. He was more of a tactics guy, so more in the Benitez mold, where he kind of doesn't talk to anyone. And so the players kind of were just sort of checked out on him, and the fans had checked out on him. The, the 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 thing is this: you gotta score goals. Nobody wants to see a team that just is like the best defense in the league and doesn't score goals. And I think if you recall last season, I did talk about Wolves as way overperforming and having lived off of their goalkeeper. And I will reflect it right now. I'm going to go back to the 2021 season and sort by expected goal difference. And I believe that Leeds were a bottom three team based on, sorry, expected goal difference, Wolves. Wait a minute. Huh. Oh, no, here we go. Yeah, Wolves were a bottom three team based on expected goal difference. So their underlying numbers for this team was way off, um, and it was all in defense. They gave up, they 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 gave up shots that should have earned, should have given up sixty goals, which would have been one of the worst defenses in the league, but only gave up forty three. And that was on Jose Sar, who was the best goalkeeper in the league at saving 
expected points. So he was a number one shot stopper. So they had the underlying numbers of a team that would go down. And now they are in the bottom three and they haven't really improved the team because their reinforcements all got hurt. They're trying to, they got rid of Connor Cody, who was a leader in that back three. Now they're going back to a back three. So Wolves are a mess and I could see them going down. Honestly, that would be a, a shout to go down. Uh, Lester, I don't think will go down. And then Forrest, uh, Lester just played today. Um, Forrest and Lester just played today. Sorry, I missed a game because I intentionally missed it. Oh, Everton <laughs> beat Southampton. Uh, Connor Cody and Dwight McNeil the goals. Dwight McNeil had not scored in like 35 games as a winger. It was unbelievable. He had the most shots in a on target in a row without scoring a goal. Connor Cody, who got a goal in the Merseyside Derby just to get chalked off by VAR, finally gets his goal. I think it's one of his first goals in the Premier League. And... Uh, off the Schneid, Everton, moving along. Southampton, I don't know what's going on there. And then Bournemouth play a nil-nil draw. The only controversy in the Bournemouth game was there was a penalty on... Um, I have to look it up. There was a penalty called... Sorry, there was a no call on a foul at the top of the box. It goes to VAR. And the VAR tells the referee, go look at this play. The VAR has a look at it, and normally what we've all learned is if the VAR has a look at it, he overturns it and calls it the other way. In this case, he did not. He was like, nope, I'm happy with my call, uh, and I'll just we're just going to go from there. It was Jordan Zamora who got fouled at the top of the box, and they just didn't, uh, they didn't call it. So VAR said, this is a penalty, and the ref said, no, nah, no, it's not. <laughs> and so uh, Bournemouth... Gary O'Neill, since the 9-0, undefeated. So Bournemouth still playing pretty well. Um, uh, Brentford will feel these are games they should win. They should be beating Bournemouth. They had the better chances, but, you know, it's still Brentford. Sorry, Brentford should have beat Bournemouth. It's still Brentford. They still have problems. They still don't always create as much as you like. So it was a tough game for them. And then the, the last game of the day, Leicester versus Nottingham Forest. Leicester completely dominate Forrest, but Forrest are really a mess. Steve Cook is a mess. He still doesn't know who his best player, his best team is. And when you're playing against Newcastle, against Leicester, you've got to put their defense under pressure. And they did not put the team under pressure at all. Danny Ward, who's terrible, we know he's the worst goalkeeper in the league, only faced three shots. Uh, they had almost no corners. And so... You know, Forrest, Forrest is in trouble. Uh, they've now given up 15 goals in their last three games. Uh, I really like Steve Cooper. I really thought that he'd be good, but it looks like it's a bridge too far for him to have to incorporate these 20 players. There's no institutional knowledge of how anything happened. And so the team doesn't have anything to fall back on especially when they give up a goal. seems once they give up a goal, they give up more. So in this case, Madison scored a goal. Then three minutes later, they gave up another one. They don't have the cohesion to connect to each other. Uh, Madison, Matt, James Madison was incredible in this game. He should get a shout for the England team. But, you know, Gareth Southgate doesn't play attacking midfielders. So why would he do that? But this, um, I do worry for, 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 for Steve Cooper now. Um, the owner of Nordingham Forest just fired the manager at Olympiakos. He's a Greek owner. He looks like a disheveled Greek owner. But uh, we'll see where we are. Uh, let's see how much time we've got left on 48 minutes of the show. Let me go through the table really quickly just so we know where we are. Arsenal top on 21. City on 20 and second. Spurs on 17 and third. Brighton on 14 in fourth with a game in hand. Chelsea in fifth on 13. United on 12. In sixth on 12. Newcastle up to seventh on 11 points. Fulham on 11 as well in eighth. Liverpool still sitting in ninth, but with the plus nine goal difference, they really don't because that plus nine all comes from uh, Bournemouth on 10, along with Brentford and Everton. So Everton, Brentford, and Liverpool all tied on 10, uh, but the goal difference takes Liverpool top of them. Tied on nine, Leeds and Bournemouth on 12th and 13th, and then Villa on 8, West Ham in 15th with Southampton on 7, Crystal Palace in 17th on 6, Wolves 
in the bottom three on six, along with Leicester and Forrest, who bring up the bottom of the table. So four points, six points gets you in the bottom. You've got to score more than a point a game. Anyone under a point a game is going to go down because there's 38 games a season. If you're under one point a game, you're going down. So Leicester still in the bottom three. Not our friends in Bournemouth, who I said would go down after that minus nine. They're playing well. They're unbeaten in four with two with three draws and a win. So good for them. I do want to touch on the Champions League, which resumes tomorrow. The games come thick and fast. Games of note. Spurs playing Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. That is going to be a tough atmosphere. We have to see how Spurs respond to a quick turnaround. See if they can get themselves going. They really need a win here. They can't get a draw. A big game. Rangers of Scotland playing in Anfield. This will be a get healthy game. Rangers are not good enough to dent Liverpool. But Liverpool need good performances. They need good things to happen. They need fun things to happen. Um, City play Copenhagen at home. This is City will play the kids. Copenhagen have no real reason to be here. Other games of note. Chelsea play Milan. This is a wraparound game. Chelsea at home. This is a must win. They have a loss and a draw. The the loss got Tuchel fired. So I'm pretty sure that's where they are. Maybe they have two draws. I don't remember. Uh, but Chelsea, neat. this is a must win against Milan. And then we have a couple of games of note that are interesting. Ajax Napoli, super fun. Inter versus Barca. And let's see what else I have that's interesting to keep an eye on. So this is Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, Benfica PSG, eh, not really. So City play late on Wednesday. So City have Copenhagen Rangers versus Liverpool at Anfield. Tottenham go to Eintracht Frankfurt tomorrow, along with Ajax playing Napoli. Uh, let's see if we can get a sense of the groups. Um, Liverpool are fine, probably. I think it's... Tottenham, yeah, Tottenham really want to beat Eintracht Frankfurt. That'll make a difference for them. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea are at the bottom of their group. They need to win against Milan. They have a win and a draw, a loss and a draw, right? Because Tuchel got fired after losing to Zagreb away. And then Potter had that first game where he got the draw versus Red B Salzburg. So a big, big game for Chelsea there. And City are cruising. No big deal. Okay. I did 50 minutes by myself. Wow, e wow. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike Salerno and Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show because we need you. And we are thank the Chop Sports Network. We're proud of the team. They're doing awesome. It's a way to go. And then FanHub, thank you so much for including us. Again, please rate and review the show. It means the world. Thank you and good night.